0: Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com Podcast for Pod People Our feature
1: presentation begins now
2: another episode of movie house memories the podcast where we look back and review the films that we think are the most important films in cinema history i'm patrick and with me tonight are two people who spent a large portion of their lives in darkened movie theaters first he's our resident lumberjack and the man who sees symbolism in his cornflakes he's one of the co-hosts of criterion critics and lunchtime movie review podcasts here on the mhn podcast network and he has his own youtube channel viewing and reviewing over on on youtube bobby taylor
1: and i have no female friends that's why Lori's not on the podcast
2: <laughs> we had to kick her off also with us he's one of the co-hosts of male bonding the james bond retrospective podcast here on the mhn podcast network you can follow him on twitter at hey matt palmer
0: patrick i think we've been doing this podcast longer than harry knew sally that i think that's true actually
2: like 11 years i can't if i remember correctly all right well welcome everyone and before we get started we'd like to thank all the returning listeners to the show and welcome all new listeners to movie house memories thanks for downloading us and giving us a try we appreciate your time and attention and hope you keep on listening and following us on pinterest or twitter at mh memories on either one of those social media outlets you can keep yourself informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers and information on many upcoming podcasts on the mhn podcast network additionally you can now subscribe to our account on youtube where we're releasing our podcasts exclusively once you subscribe to our account you'll get updates as to when we post new materials you can give us a like or dislike if you so choose and it possibly even make a suggestion to us in the comments as to uh, what film you think should be in the top 100 films of all time And whether you're a frequent listener or a brand new fan of our little show, we hope you take the time after you're done listening and provide us with a little feedback. You can do this uh, several ways. Uh, First, uh, you can leave a comment on our YouTube channel uh, about uh, our opinions or the film that we're reviewing. Additionally, you can also visit our website at moviehousememories.com and leave a comment about either our podcast, our opinions, or the film that we're reviewing finally, on our website, you can leave your star review rating of the film that we have discussed so that we can get a consensus rating from the MHN Podcast Network community. As always, we love to hear positive feedback, but we appreciate anything anyone has to say about any of our little shows. Now, with the horrible business out of the way, let's get on to my next pick for one of the greatest films of all time. 1989's When Harry Met Sally with Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Can you tell me a story? In 1977... Harry Burns and Sally Albright are two strangers who both graduate from the University of Chicago and decide to move to New York City. Harry is dating Sally's friend Amanda, so they decide to drive together across the country to reduce the moving expenses. Sally plans to attend journalism school, and Harry plans to look for a job in the big city. During the drive, Harry and Sally share their differing opinions on how relationships should work and the normal roles of men and women. Harry pontificates that men and women can never be friends because the possibility of sex will always get in the way. Sally disagrees. They stop for dinner at a diner, and Harry tells Sally she is attractive. Sally becomes angry, believing that Harry, her friend's boyfriend, has made a pass at her. Harry states that he did not. Nevertheless, they continue their drive to New York and part company on relatively unfriendly terms. Five years later, Harry and Sally are on the same flight from New York. Sally is dating Harry's former neighbor, Joe, and Harry is engaged to Helen. Sally is surprised that Harry is planning on getting married based on her memory of his previous views on men and women. Just before leaving the airport of their destination, Harry suggests that they become friends, which Sally reminds him that he does not believe that men and women can be friends. Harry modifies his previous position to state that men and women can be friends if the man and woman are in other happy relationships. Sally is skeptical. As they part, they conclude that they will not be friends. Six years later, Sally encounters Harry again while she is shopping with her friend Marie at a bookstore. Harry and Sally decide to have coffee together, and they talk about their previous relationships. Sally shares that she and Joe have broken up because she wanted to marry and have a family, but Joe did not. Harry confesses that his wife, Helen, left him for another man. They take a walk in Central Park and decide to finally become friends. They try to set each other up with their mutual best friends, Harry with Marie and Sally with Jess. However, there is no love connection for Harry and Sally, but Marie and Jess hit it off and eventually get engaged. Harry and Sally spend the next several months becoming closer as friends, often discussing their love lives with other people. One night, Sally calls Harry in tears after encountering Joe again. She learns that Joe is going to get married and it devastates her. Sally realizes that Joe did not want to marry her. Harry rushes to her apartment to console her. Harry calms her down, but the two friends begin to kiss and eventually have sex. The next morning, Harry hurriedly rushes out of the apartment, which upsets Sally. They each do not know how to react around each other. And when Harry tries to write the sexual encounter off as a mistake, it fractures their friendship. Harry spends the next few weeks trying to make amends with Sally who tells him that they cannot be friends any longer. Mm -hmm. On new year's Eve, Sally attends a party with Jess and Marie while Harry spends the night alone. He begins walking around the city and suddenly has an epiphany. Harry begins running across the city to get to the party that Sally is at. Frustrated, Sally starts to leave that same party before midnight and runs into Harry as he enters. Harry declares his love for her. Jaded, Sally tells Harry that the only reason he is saying that he loves her is because he is lonely. Harry quickly lists the many things that he loves about Sally, which causes her to realize that his feelings are genuine. The couple kiss as the new year arrives. They marry three months later, exactly 12 years and three months after they first met. And that is when Harry met Sally. Yay! All right. Films are influenced by the Times they are made in, not specifically this one. (laughs) But we look back at some of the big news events in Lori Flores' Headlines of the Times, this week, read by me, Patrick. I'm covering some of the news events that happened during the summer of 1989, a summer that Bobby and I have reviewed previously over on lunchtime. movie review is one of the greatest, greatest summers of all time. As far as film releases on June 4th, the Tiananmen square protests and eventual massacre begin. The next day, the famous Tank Man, uh, the unknown Chinese protester who stood in a call in front of a column of military tanks uh, in Beijing, uh, that picture is actually taken uh, shortly before the massacre on June eight Sorry, on June eighth, nineteen eighty nine, the wreck of the German battleship Bismarck, which was sunk in nineteen forty one, was located about six hundred miles uh, west of Brest, France. July 18th, 1989, actress Rebecca Schaefer is, was murdered by an obsessed fan, which ultimately led to a stricker, stricter stalking laws in California. Uh, also in July, on July 26th, a federal grand jury indicted Cornell University student Robert Tapin Morris for releasing a computer virus, making him the first person to be prosecuted under the United States' 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And it's weird how it took that long, considering War Games was made in, like, 1983. And July 31st, Nintendo released the Game Boy Portable portable Video Game System in North America for the first time. And on August 20th, in Beverly Hills, California, Lyle and Eric Menendez shot their wealthy parents to death in the family's den. Famous birthdays in the summer of 1989. This will start making you feel old. On June 14th, American actor June 14th, 1989, American actress and singer Lucy Hale was born. On July 21st, American actor Rory Culkin was born. On July 23rd, 1989, English actor and famous Harry Potter alum Daniel Radcliffe was born. And on August 21st, American actress and singer Hayden Panettiere was born. Films released during the summer of 1989 were Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Ghostbusters II, Lockup, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lethal Weapon 2, and of course, the highest grossing film of 1989, Batman with Michael Keaton. And that was the news for the summer of 1989. usually we start by talking about the casting of the film and this is no different. We'll start. I'm going to go a little bit reverse. Cause instead of going with the male lead, we'll go with the female lead. I thought Lori was going to be here. So <laughs> I thought I'd be tossing it to her, but I will toss it to Bobby. Bobby, what did you think about Meg Ryan playing Sally Albright in this film?
1: I really liked her. I believe this was her first role. Wasn't it as the, as the female lead, mm. she was a bit actress before
2: that. Uh, no, well, she was a bit actress but she kind of, she was in film. she was probably the female lead but she definitely was not top billed like
1: not one of the two yeah one yeah. Of, not one of the top 2
2: Yeah because I know she did uh, Interspace with Dennis Quaid and I know she did DOA yeah, she with a Dennis Quaid yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah right I really liked her in this role I think this is where everybody started to see her as a romantic comedy lead and I think that's probably why she uh, became such a, a standout in that genre but she was adorable she was vulnerable uh she had a strong uh, she was a strong woman when faced with uh with a male chauvinist so i thought that was she did a real good job and the fact that she did that one scene that is iconic to the, the movie was uh you got to you got to tip your hat to her. That was that's something that you don't get to see very often in film. So well done.
0: Yeah, she she was good. I, you know, I'm not a, a romantic comedy person, and i I don't perceive that role as taking a whole lot of uh, exceptional talent to pull off. But she pulled it off as well as anyone could have.
2: Yeah, hey, see, I'll disagree with you on that. Is that it's very easy, I think, in romantic comedies to make. The, the female care to be nothing but emotional. and and in this case, I almost think that she's you know, she's kind of the antithesis of that because she her emotions eventually overcome her when she sees Joe. but through the the most of the film, she kind of just puts it aside. Billy Crystal, when his his marriage collapses, becomes the depressed one, kind of the emotional one, the needy one, if you will. And he I, I think he needs that relationship much more than you know the uh, sally does is from that perspective and in addition to that i you know i agree with bobby that she was a very solid and firm character she wasn't meek and and i think this was probably uh, to me this is the defining role of meg ryan's career this is the you know i I, she's in a lot of other films and many of the films I, i i like as well but this is the film that i think of of like the the apex of her career and the the best best performance, uh, if you will, of uh, all the films that she ever did.
1: But what about Billy?
2: Well, oh, sorry, Bobby. Go let ahead. me
1: say also though that if you were to take an actress of roughly the same genre, or same era, uh, maybe a little bit younger than this, but but still similar, it would be like a Julia Roberts. Which she's in a lot of romantic comedies, and if you were to take her and put her in this role, it is a completely different um, feel because she's extremely emotional in film, and I think that Meg carried it, pulled that off pretty well.
2: Well, and, and but if you even look at some of the actresses they were looking at at the time, Susan Day, um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Perkins, Elizabeth, Elizabeth McGovern, and Elizabeth Perkins and Elizabeth McGovern are actresses I like a lot for films such as this in the 80s interchangeable to me i often confuse which one did which role but <laughs> i you know the, i don't think they would have done a good as good a job i mean i i i think the exceptional the exceptional part of this is how well the character is written but i don't i, I I'll, I'll give matt the credit that no i don't think it's an academy award winning performance and i do think a lot Agreed. of a lot of actors probably could have played it fairly well but she has screen chemistry with billy crystal that if you the pairing of them was unusual at the time but now it's like i wish i would have seen more movies with the two of them together i i thought they were, worked very well together on screen what about uh billy crystal playing harry burns matt you got to have liked him
0: i confess <laughs> i don't see the genius in billy crystal and it may be i'm just a bit young to have i kind of missed his his shtick i i struggle to see him as a romantic lead just because he he doesn't seem particularly handsome or charismatic to me i found him kind of off-putting but i think i was supposed to and um meg ryan is like several notches better looking than so you know I, i i look at the the other people that were up for the role I think Michael Keaton would have been really interesting in this yes. one, and you know, she and Tom Hanks made like three or four movies together, so that would have just been superfluous. But it, it worked. I mean, he he certainly um, he certainly has you know the comedic chops and can deliver his lines very well. But I just him as an actor, I just had a hard time suspending disbelief.
1: I I will tend to agree with Matt on this because I am of the Billy Crystal fan club. I really enjoy him very much when he is comedian at his comedian best. But that's more like City Slickers, which is along his best, uh, his best work. I think the romantic comedy part of this I didn't quite get as well. Um, and, and I agree with Matt as well when saying that Meg Ryan is several notches above. And I don't think it's just in looks. I think she was a class above him. And uh, I think that she dumbed herself down to his character, who was extremely off-putting through most of the film. And and I got to say it was difficult to see Billy Crystal as a romantic lead when in reality he's 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 more of the the comedy the comic jester to uh, to Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as the the romantic leads. So I think this was a little bit harder for me to take for him. I really like him. I very very much am a fan of his, but this film here i think it was a lot of billy crystal comedian light uh shoved into a romantic comedy there could have been several other options that could have been a better uh better choice for this film than than billy he's he's fine he just what <laughs> he what there were others that could have done it better
2: Yeah, you know, i will give you that yeah meg ryan is a a, a level of attractiveness way above what Billy Crystal is. And even age, I, you know, I didn't look up the age of the actor and actresses, mm-hmm. but they seem so distinct. I mean, he's, he's an actor of the seventies and she was coming around in late eighties, you know? So I, th- I think the age difference was kind of dramatic. A- and and I'll, and I, even at the time when this film came out, I went, that was an odd pairing, but I think the character of Harry Burns needed a little bit of assholeian, I guess to that, and I don't think Tom Hanks can play that as well as Billy Crystal could. I think I agree with you. Michael Keaton could have, and I, I can see him in that role, but, uh, you know, at that time he was making Batman. So, I mean, that, that was a different career defining role for him for a period of time. Uh, but you know, I ultimately, I think it works. I, I think that it's this, that you don't expect these characters to end up together and they do. And uh, if 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 Harry Burns was not that kind of kind of a jackass, especially at the beginning, uh, then I don't think the I think the, the film becomes way too formalistic and predictable. And and having Tom Hanks in that, because I do agree with you, Meg Ryan also has great chemistry with Tom Hanks. I mean, who doesn't want to see Joe versus the volcano, two? I mean, we're still waiting for it to this day. Uh <laughs> but uh it's you know you got some more mail, I guess I, uh, but uh it's uh it, it, i i think i I think the chemistry does work i i i don't, and I agree with you it's I think it's odd uh that the pairing, and I can see where it, it the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, I just don't get it, but after i got i after repeated viewings, I just like the the way the characters are written so much that it just works for me. But uh, usually we talk about a third, but I just paired them together because they're almost always together on on screen. It's Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby playing Marie and Jess, uh, very much two uh, prolific character actors. Uh, Ironically, Carrie Fisher becoming a character actor at this point in her career, playing supporting roles in this film. Uh, Bobby, what did you think of Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby?
1: Well, Carrie, I really liked her. Uh she was also a character actress with Tom Hanks in uh jo- um sorry, the uh Man with One Red Shoe. And it was oh, a, a lot, I, I, thought a say, I thought you were going to say I thought you
2: were going to say the Burbs.
1: <laughs> no. But she, I really liked her in the role. I thought that she was she was the perfect character actor for this specific role. Uh, that was not Princess Leia. That was a that was a character actress that did her job very well, and I, I thought she was she was adorable and a, a great wing girl for for Meg. Uh, Bruno Kirby, on the other hand, I have never ever seen the draw i just don't appreciate his talent if you can call it that he's just a schlub that shows up on screen is everybody's wet blanket that just sits there next to next to the person making the other person look like an absolute class act compared to him and in this role in particular i just thought he was he was terrible i i think Carrie Fisher deserved a whole lot better as a as a spouse. I mean, just the wagon wheel scene in particular tells you that that marriage was going to last all of about a year and a half, and then it was going to be over because he's just he's a he's a, a schlub, and a, a, it's frustrating to watch that happen on screen. But he is Billy Crystal's best BFF. That wasn't Robin Williams, so you got to give him credit. That's the that's how he got the role. So more power to him. I think
0: the word "schlub" works, but I, I I felt like also that's what they were going for. So he he made me slightly uncomfortable every time he was on screen, <laughs> but I I I read it as intentional. Carrie Fisher, you know, I'm used just used to her as Princess Leia, so I think she did fine. I think um, she already looked a little a little uh, worse for the wear by this time. I'm not sure if her substance abuse issues were were in play yet, but. You know, she 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 played the character well.
2: Now, I'll give you Bruno Kirby that he is kind of one note. Um, (laughs) You know, I I don't know if he was. Was he really that good of friends with Billy Crystal? Yeah,
1: that's how that's why he was in City Slickers.
2: I know. But that's also he wasn't in City Slickers, too, because he got into a salary dispute and Billy Crystal was one of the producers.
1: (laughs) I I just know that I I had heard uh, that they were. True BFFs, yeah. um, so maybe the, maybe Robin Williams became the ultimate, but I I just know that those two I I want to say that they grew up together. Some there was something in their past that kept them together pretty tight.
2: Yeah, I mean I I I think they play serviceable roles, very distinctly. I think anybody could have played them,
1: uh, mm.
2: each of the roles. Uh, but I like seeing Carrie Fisher in something dramatically different than Princess Leia. I think she's got i think she's a great comedian i thought she had really good timing in the film bruno kirby uh, yeah he's a schlub and he's also kind of a schlub in city slickers I mean, everything yeah I, I mean i can't I, i'm hard pressed to think of anything else that he's done that's dramatically different but that's what the rule called for. That's what the film is. And I I agree with Matt that I don't believe these two people will still be married a couple of years after they, they supposedly got married in the film. They just they they're not going to connect that way. All right, Bobby, what about symbolism and hidden meanings in this film? Oh, man,
1: this is brutal. I to be honest, I came up with one terrible one. And that's all I, 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 I was racking my brain all day long. So I'm sorry, folks. This, this is giving minimal. <laughs> I I just have New Year's Eve. Uh, it symbolized a new beginning to Harry and Sally's friendship in the beginning. The first New Year's Eve that they were together, uh, they that transitioned into a new beginning of their romantic relationship uh, halfway through the, the movie, and then ultimately at the end, it's a rebirth of their uh, their newfound love at the end after um, Sally told her she hated him, and then he espouses uh, his entire love. Uh, to her and next thing you know they're married so that's all I got and there's lots I'm sure there's lots more folks I'm sure you're smarter than me out there but I couldn't get it
2: well I read one and granted I this is just in my research for it about how these two characters who walk through this life together are oblivious to the beauty that is around them that just as they are oblivious to their attraction and uh, eventual love for each other, you know, that like when they're walking through central park right after they kind of reunite after, I don't know, at that point, 11 years since they first met and they're discussing things, just how the, the cinematography is absolutely beautiful and it's, you yeah. know, God, I can't think of central park at, you know, one of the best times of the year and they just, Don't notice it because they're so stuck in their own little worlds at that point in time. I thought that was an interesting point that, you know, that that they just don't happen to notice what's going on around them.
1: Well, you could also bring up Casablanca, uh, the, the movie Casablanca, which they brought up multiple times, including a partial viewing of it together in a split screen, because Casablanca was a way that they would connect with one another where it was a beautiful love story that was happening before their eyes with mismatched people that just ended up uh, – in that case, they ended up apart from one another in, in that film, whereas in this film, it ended up where they were ended up together. Uh, spoiler alert. But that also takes <laughs> us back to the to the – to the uh, alternate ending that they wanted to have originally anyway. So I think that was also symbolized in the way that they interacted with one another.
0: I, uh, the one thing I think I noticed is the way she ordered food, which was <laughs> was a little heavy handed at first, just as just establishing her character as someone who's kind of both anal and um, a, a little creative. Um, other than that, I, I wouldn't add anything.
1: Okay, have you did symbolize anything about her?
2: <laughs> Except for uh, it predicted what my life would be once I married Lacey, but uh, just uh, <laughs> I would like that on the side, but if I can't have it on the side, I don't want it at all. <laughs> so uh what about uh the moral universe, Matt?
0: Yeah, I um I, I, again when I when I watch romantic comedies I, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on on something maybe I'm not even supposed to be there for I, I always see something designed to um, to really uh, cater to the, the female gaze and um, it's hard for me to to see the uh, the genius in it uh, at the end of the day you know I we we have kind of this um, couple who learned to love each other in an asexual relationship and then decided that they wanted to, to be married to each other once they experienced a sexual relationship. So I, I think there's there's definitely a message there of um, maturity. And as they matured, they they realized what was more fulfilling in a partner, something that they were incapable of seeing when they were younger but that they, they needed more experience to, to find out why each other were, were great matches for themselves.
1: I think that's, that's a good statement, especially from a male uh, looking at it from a female's perspective. I also believe um, Carrie Fisher's character was always chasing married men. And kept a Rolodex of all of the men in her life that were either married or unmarried or had just gone through a divorce or whatever. So the fact that she had no morals as to who was physically or emotionally available, I'm not sure how you want to say that. Uh, so she didn't have very many morals. And and I, I got to say, Billy Crystal's character, especially at the beginning of the of the film, he had zero morals. I mean, he was he, – Hit on Meg Ryan literally within 24 hours after he's in deep love with the girl from University of Chicago. So it's he he went through a big transition from CAD in college to semi CAD, uh, you know, in the airport to to burned out. Uh, ex-husband in through the course of the film to the end he kind of i think he kind of grew up so i think that there's some morality there that and i also say that um meg ryan's character went from ultimate i guess the term would be pris uh coming out of college to somebody that that warmed up to real life as to wanting a relationship that was not all about I, i don't know if it's emotional or if it's um, financial, I don't, I don't know what her ultimate goal was for a male or for a, for a mate, but ultimately she ended up going for somebody that she was emotionally in love with in the end, which was good. Well, do you think
2: Billy Crystal or Harry was actually hitting on her at the restaurant when he says that she's attractive or is he, well, he- is, I mean, cause then she says you're hitting on me and he says, no, I wasn't. And then he kind of acquiesces. But then he drives the point further. But I took that he's just arguing with her to argue to to make a point.
1: Well, you guys are attorneys and you guys know that that the more questions, the more uh, statements that are made creates creates friction, creates things, more statements to be to open more questions, to open more answers. So ultimately, I think Billy Crystal's character, Young, was somebody that was playing a part and he didn't believe half of the stuff that he was spouting, and he was just spouting it because that's what he – he was still a college kid with all of these opinions. And, I mean, he had that – i I'm a dark person. Well, no, he wasn't a dark person. He just was spouting dark statements, <laughs> you know. And, and I think that that was – that's just what he was doing. He was throwing out the male vibe to a single female that he – found somewhat attractive i don't know if he was intentionally trying to pick her up but ultimately he was he was feeling her out to see if maybe she was you know free and easy who knows but yeah i, I think he genuinely there was something in the way he said it that yes he was he was interested but he knew there were limits he just didn't care
2: all right well I have a question for you guys and it's too bad Lori's not here because I would like her perspective. I mean, it, one of the most famous statements from the film is men and women can't ultimately be friends because the sex thing always get, gets in the way and it, kind of a somewhat a judgment of morality. Do you think that's true?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, I mean, I don't, it, not categorically. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say yes, always. I think it, it adds an element that makes it difficult in um, most situations
2: difficult for the two people or difficult difficult for the perceptions of everyone around them.
0: No, I think for the two people. Okay. Bobby, I may be coming from a different
1: perspective. I've had multiple careers where I've had, or at least jobs (laughs) where my, uh, I was the ultra minority as a male with mass majority of females in the office that I work and I got to say I was friends with almost all of those women genuine friends and it, it wasn't a sexual feeling between us uh, that I know of and and I'm not saying that all of them were were completely asexual you know obviously there's some attraction to certain people but for the most part yes I was just genuinely friends with women because I tend to I like their company more than I like some men's friends. Uh, I have more female friends than I have male friends and they're it's they're asexual. Not that I'm saying there were <laughs> you know the opposite didn't happen too, but I'm but no, I I totally believe that males and females can have an asexual relationship very strongly uh that can can last lifetimes. So you believe they can be in a close friendship. Absolutely, I believe one hundred percent. What they were doing with the Casablanca scene, the, I believe, because I've had those with with friends that have been that way. Not necessarily that intense, but but yes, where you can just you can talk the talk, and they're they're on the same wavelength, and we're buddies, and 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 it, and it's to me, it's a rich a rich friendship that doesn't necessarily it doesn't have to cross a line. See, see I, I
2: think I'm somewhat in between the two of you. I, I tend to agree with Matt, but I disagree with that. It applies more to the two people as more that it applies to the everyone around them and the perceptions of how people perceive that friendship is that I probably had more female friends that I would consider really, really close, intense relationships. So like, you know, even like best friend close when I was younger and now I don't. <laughs> I, I don't have that at all obviously I have my wife, but I, I don't have those strong bond relationships with other females and it's not because I think the sex thing necessarily gets in there, but I am I, I, more cognizant of the fact that other people perceive any kind of closeness between a male and female as being somewhat uh, uh, like pseudo romantic and I never want to be that insulting to, you know, the relationship I'm in with my own wife. So Uh, I I think that uh, I I do think it has an influence on that. And I do think it becomes more difficult. But when I was younger, you know, I had close relationships. Now, I'll say I was I was attracted to many of those women, but I didn't sleep with (laughs) pretty much. I didn't sleep with hardly any of them. So (laughs) unfortunately for me, (laughs) fortunately for all of them. (laughs) And unfortunately, Lori's not here to give the female perspective. I really want to know what she had. You got to guys remind me next time she's on, we got to ask her if men and women can both uh, be friends or if the sex thing always gets in the way.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's a perfect example, though. You and Lori have known each other since birth. So, I mean, you guys are friends. You guys never dated. so. So, but you're still good friends.
2: Yeah, I mean I I would say we're very good friends and she would be one of the people that I was really close with uh, at a period of time, but then there were long periods of time where I, I I you know, I didn't see Lori and up until probably on a regular basis or talked to her until we were on the podcast. And in, even now, although we do this, I see laurie like once every two years we live 15 minutes away from each other and i don't see her that often you know and my wife and laurie get along fine and everything but that would be one of the few relationships but you know it's it's kind of weird i'd be kind of curious what her perspective is from that and i think i saw this movie with her too like she (laughs) goes to show you how long (laughs) not the first time but i know I've, i've probably watched it with her at least once but the film's music, there's actually a, a small score uh, composed by Mark Shaman. And then, of course, the best known part of the, the soundtrack is kind of the debut of Harry Connick Jr., not his debut, but he, he became very famous for the soundtrack and then became Harry Connick Jr. after this. Uh, Matt, what did you think of the music in the film?
0: I actually really liked it. It was, it was enjoyable. Uh, In its own right, and I think it was very appropriate for the mood and the tone of the movie. Um, One one of the better soundtracks I can remember.
1: I'll agree that it matches up to the mood and the tone of the film, but I did not like it. I don't like Harry Connick Jr. music to begin with, Um, and uh, especially the beginning where he was playing off-key a lot of it, that that became just – it was nails on a chalkboard in my ears.
2: I love this soundtrack. I, I bought the soundtrack when it came out in 1989. And I've been a fan of Harry Connick Jr. Music ever since. And, and I was an eighties hair metal guy, but I really, I just really liked uh, that style of music. And it, it it made me a fan of his work ever since. I, I think it's one of the highlights of the film. It, it It just seems to work exceptionally well with this film. All right. Ending of the film. Bobby alluded to this earlier, but the first draft of the screenplay had the characters not ending up with each other in the ultimate end of the film, similar to what they talk about with Casablanca, the two main characters not ending up together in that film. I was curious, what did you guys think of that possible ending for this film? And what did you think of the way the film ended in the actual film?
1: It's a romantic comedy. And I think this was also where romantic comedies were starting to to get traction in making sure that the two leads end up together in the end. And I think that that's – I think that's ultimately what was the right decision. I think it had they have ended up apart from one another, and I think that that jaded look would have been exactly what the film was not trying to put across ultimately in the end. It was it was two people that were supposed to be together that just needed to get past all of the the politics and all of this the silliness to get to what was real in a relationship between a male and a female. So I really liked the way this film ended and I think had they have gone the other direction, I think that we would not be talking about it today like we are.
0: Yeah, I would have felt cheated with the alternate ending. They they it had to end this way and i I would not have have liked it had they done that. It would have been kind of exhausting the whole the whole situation, the whole movie if they didn't end up together. they needed to end up together.
2: all right, so uh, and granted, I'm the one who picked this as one of the top 100 films of all time. The weakest part of the film to me is the summary end. We're now going to rush together.
1: Oh <laughs> are you talking the the people where where they're talking as as husband and wife no, no, no. or are you talking about them I'm,
2: together i'm talking about him running to the new York, new year's oh, okay. eve party and confessing his love all of a right. sudden and wanting to be together and the abbreviated rush to a romance i think is one of the weakest parts of this film i like i actually like the the coda of them as a married couple discussing their relationship or how they got together the same way they did with all the other actor married married couples throughout the film i thought that worked well the idea of it them not ending up together i ultimately think i think that could have worked and bear with me i don't think it would have been as as successful as film because i agree with you the audience wants those characters to end up together but why why I brought up that can men and women be friends and not have the sex thing get in the way. If you make that the point of the film, that these two characters ultimately can be friends and be happy for each other, even though the sex thing does get in the way and prove that theory as, as, as plausible, I think you can make a film out of that. I think that could be interesting. It may have required an additional 10 more minutes of screen time to get there, but I think that could have been an interesting film. Now, I don't know where they planned on ending it. I don't know if the screenplay just says, you know, and they don't, they're not friends and they never get back together. That would have been disappointing. That would have been unacceptable to me. I I would have hated that film. But if these two could have found their way back to the friendship and been back to where they were before and proven, yeah, they can be friends. I think that could have been an interesting film. I think I still would have liked it. Now I like the ending in this film, much like you guys, this is the expected ending. I just wish they would have fleshed it out a little bit more, made it, not be such as just a rush to a quick ending. Uh, Cause I really, really think that's the ultimate worst part of the entire film is Billy Crystal just starting to run and go and confess his love to her. I, I think that it, it plays off as uh, too Hollywood for me. All right. Films legacy nominated for one Academy award, uh, winning none lost best writing uh, screenplay written directly for the screen nor Efron lost to dead poet society. Uh, American Film Institute Uh, in 2000 for the AFI's 100 Years and 100 Laughs list. It was the number 23 film of all time. Uh, 2002, AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions list. It was ranked number 25 uh 2004 AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs uh it had to be you by Harry Connick Jr was ranked number 60 uh 2005 AFI's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes uh I'll have what she's having was ranked number 33 of course that had to be the rule or the the line <laughs> uh 2008 AFI's 10 10 Top 10s it was number 6 in the romantic comedy film category it's included in the 1001 movies you must see before you die book It's number 60 on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies list. In 2009, it was ranked number 15 on Rotten Tomatoes' 25 Best Romantic Comedies. In 2004, the film was adapted for the stage in a theater Royal Haymarket production starring Luke Perry and Alison Hannigan. Uh, Entertainment Weekly loves this film because in 2002, they named it as one of the top 10 romantic movies of all time in 2008 they placed it as number 12 on their funniest movies in the past 25 years list uh, also in 2008 they placed it number 7 on their 25 best romantic movies of the past 25 years list and in 2009 they put it at number 3 in the top 25 modern romances uh, the film helped popularize many ideas about love that have been uh, become household concepts such as high maintenance girlfriend and a transitional person uh, which I, while I was watching it, I went, they use the term high maintenance. That's probably the first time I remember ever hearing this. And then no, I heard it before. That. Oh, okay. 91% uh, rotten tomatoes has at 91% critics and 89% audience. So, uh, that being the legacy for the film, what do you think of the legacy and would you put it in your top 100, Bobby?
1: As, as much as this film has been around in, and every, this is a film that is in everyone's lexicon, they they know the the line. I'll have what she's having. They know all about Billy Crystal and uh, doing his shtick in the film. And I, as as much as this film has been watered down and replicated and uh, remade, and it, this is still a very good film. It is funny. Uh, it's warm. It's it's for the most part romantic and. You have two charming leads that in a beautiful city, and I think overall this film deserves the accolades that it's got. I don't believe that it's an Academy Award-winning winning film. It is a romantic comedy, and I think it is a very good film that, that people will uh, cherish or should cherish that have, have watched it and loved it. And uh, you know it's not going to be in my top 100 because I've got other films that that are there, but I will always agree that this is a good film. It just won't be in my top 100.
0: Matt, yeah, I uh, am very capable of seeing why people would love this movie. It the the dialogue I feel was was pretty crisp and uh, pretty well done. I I you know the the on screen chemistry was there even if. You know, I didn't think they matched up in some ways as well as they could have it's just this is not my my style of movie this is the first time I've seen this movie I watched it for the podcast really and I yeah and as far as romantic comedies go I I only rolled my eyes at the scene at the end <laughs> with with Billy Crystal you know rushing in to you know I, I I hate you or whatever scene and I was entertained so that is more than Pretty much every other romantic comedy could do um so i give it high marks for that but it's it's not in my top 100.
2: all right oh well obviously in my top 100 uh, this is a film that i can sit down and watch uh, almost at any time uh, i like is a uh, kind of uh, matt said uh, crisp dialogue I, I i thought the the screenplay the characters are extremely well written and i love the interplay of the two characters actually the the four main characters exceptionally well and it's interesting to me just to watch the scenes and how how they react and what they say in the background you have new york probably shot at it's one at it's probably most beautiful sights. you know my my wife has been in new york i have not and she said it doesn't look that pretty <laughs> But, uh, but it—I mean, it, it, it's so gorgeous the the cinematography in this film. It just, it, it's just—it's so entertaining to just watch that and watch the backgrounds of what these characters are doing. Um, this is, uh, you know, this as I said is probably what I considered Meg Ryan's uh, finest role, and it's up there for Billy Crystal. You know, I—I I like Billy Crystal, but I think of Billy Crystal more as a, almost a supporting character, if you will, a Bruno Kirby in many other films, but this is one of the few times that I thought he did a really, really good job in a lead role. I like Rob Reiner as a director. Um, I thought mm-hmm. I definitely see the, the influence on uh, that he had on the film and Nora Ephron, who obviously went on to direct herself. You know, this is kind of her coming out and kind of announcements to the world. And you know, she became synonymous with writing, you know, uh, romantic comedies throughout the nineties. You know, I, I really, really do enjoy this film and I can't emphasize it enough now is it's not my like top 50 by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't have a lot of romantic comedies because much like Matt would probably say they're very predictable and they're very, you know, they formalistic and I don't find this one nearly as predictable and formalistic and I actually think it has a point. You know, that, you know, this idea that my biggest frustration with most romantic comedies is that you have two characters who are obviously not meant to be together and they end up together within a short period of time. This is supposed to take place over like 12 years, you know, so even though it's told in a 90 minute film. It's, you know, it's supposed to be this idea that, you know, your the love of your life isn't going to just develop and you'll be surprised who it ends up being with. Uh, and I, and I, and I really like that message. I thought it was a pretty good, uh, pretty, pretty good story to tell. So, yeah. So that's why it's in my top 100. All right. Well, that does it for this month's review of when Harry met Sally. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. As we stated before, you can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MHMemories. On either one of those social media outlets, you can keep yourself informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers, and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And if you've enjoyed yourselves and you download us off of YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our account there so that you can get updates and when we post new materials. Also give us a like and leave a comment on what you think of either our opinions, the film that we reviewed, or even a suggestion for a film that you think should be in the top 100 films of all time. Of course, we always like the feedback that is positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. Well, that does it for this episode of Movie House Memories. Join us next time when it is once again Bobby's pick for one of the greatest films of all time, and he is nominating 2007's August Rush uh, with Freddie Highmore, Robin Williams, and Carrie Russell. Correct? Who am I forgetting? Uh, And until then, I'm Patrick.
0: And I'll have what he's having. And I'm faking an orgasm right now.
2: Uh, I can't top that. So we'll see you all next time at our house. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Movie House Memories, Hiding Your Reality is provided courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.